Welcome to Is This Working, a podcast where we talk about the messy parts of work. With me, Anna Codrerado. And me, Tiffany Philippou. This week, we're talking about the paradox of work. We are indeed. What an episode we have for you today. I had the absolute pleasure of interviewing Grace Beverly for today's show. At 24, Grace Beverly is one of the UK's leading young entrepreneurs behind two hugely successful companies, the sustainable fashion brand Tala and the fitness tech brand Shreddy both of which she founded while studying at Oxford University. On Grace's Instagram, which has over a million followers, she posts hilarious QVC-style videos about her brand's products, which are just an absolute joy to watch. Grace has also just published her first book, which is out now, and it's called Working Hard, Hardly Working. It's part analysis, part blueprint for productivity and success, and it investigates all of our outdated expectations of what a working life should really look like. It was such a brilliant interview, Anna. Well done. I uh, kept wanting to jump into the conversation and, and get involved. And I'm also really liking some of our classic questions that are coming back, such as work boo boo. So we cover that with Grace as well. For me as a bystander, what really stood out was I've never heard productivity and self-care as these two opposing forces that are being said to us that are causing a lot of, like it's confusing. Like it really, I really related to that internal struggle. Like what am I meant to be doing? Like resting or like working all the time? What's right? And it, it I thought Grace and you did such a good job of pulling that out. Well, it's, I mean, I think that really speaks to the heart of her book and also what we try to get into in this episode, which is that for so many of us, there are these conflicting realities going on and is causing a lot of, I'm going to go so far as to say it's causing a lot of pain um, because, you know, we work, work is such a big part of our lives and it stresses us, stresses us out so much. So all of these things are swirling around and causing a lot of confusion. So it was actually quite comforting to just voice all of that. Yes. And it's so true. This is the reason we do this podcast, right? It's like work struggles cause us a lot of pain and a lot of tension. It's where we spend most of the hours of our day apart from sleeping. And at the same time, the other thing that really stood out for me in this conversation was when we talked, when Grace talked about using work as a crutch, as a numbing technique. And I was just so impressed by that. It literally took me to write a memoir about my 20s to realize I'd spent most of my 20s doing that. Whereas Grace has already got there on that um, enlightenment path. And it's something you and I talk about that we both do. And we've talked about that in past podcast episodes. And so again, that was something that I thought was really going to be really helpful for our listeners to hear about today. And I am sure to those listening, you will absolutely love the conversation. So let's just get stuck in. Um, Buy Grace's book. We're going to link to it in the show notes and enjoy the interview. Grace, welcome to the show. I am so thrilled 
to have you here and have just got so much that I want to talk to you about. Um, So thank you so much for joining us today. No, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be on the podcast. Uh, So as I said, I've just got a flood of questions for you. So I'm just going to dive right in so that we can pack in as much as possible. Um, Perfect. Let's start with the book, Working Hard, Hardly Working. For everyone listening who are longtime fans of the show, I can absolutely promise you that you're going to love this book. Um, So much so that I am prepared to give my personal money back guarantee because the book, it just, it distills all of the topics that Tiffany and I have been grappling with on this show over the last, it's three years now. Um, And it just really gets to the heart of this kind of paradox of modern work, which you've described as these kind of conflicting realities of working hard and hardly working, these kind of two modes of being simultaneously burned out, but then also lazy snowflakes. Um, Now, what I found really interesting is that your lens is Gen Z, as you're probably Mm -hmm. about a good 10 years younger than us. But I think the application is is so much wider than that, um, because I'm living this experience. Tiffany's living this experience. Um, And I mean, I kind of even think about the origin of our own podcast and the fact that we called our show, Is This Working? Because (laughs) it's a pun on the idea that, oh, how fun it is to work with pals and with the masters of our own schedule, that how could we possibly call this work? But at the same time, modern work is utterly mad to the point that it's not working. Um, So... Let's start by you telling me, how did this book kind of come about, this sort of manifesto of rethinking modern work? Well, first, I just want to say thank you so much. That was such a lovely introduction. And I can't believe the personal money back guarantee. (laughs) I might get you to pay me back for my own book. Um, No, but that is so kind. I really, really appreciate that. Um, In terms of kind of how I started thinking about that I I wanted to write this, it was a very personal exploration. Um, I I talk about it in the book and I talk about kind of how I came to the point where I thought this needs to be talked about on a personal level. And that was very much because, you know, I've I've always considered myself a very, very hard worker um, to the point that, you know, I use it a lot as a coping mechanism. I know my working habits often aren't healthy. I know I've often had really bad boundaries when it comes to work. And then at the same time, I was feeling like I was lazy and everyone else was working harder than me um, and that I could never be unconnected or I could never be resting. Otherwise, I was not necessarily a failure, but not doing my most and like not doing my best and not being where I should be. And then when I started thinking more about it, really, as we came into the pandemic, I really started thinking that actually, it's not just my kind of I say in the book, like, it's not just my identity crisis or kind of work identity crisis. It's that of an entire generation. And I guess pointing to what you were just saying in terms of Gen Z and millennials, because there's only one or two years or probably maximum four or five years, depending on when you leave school and start work, of Gen Z in the workplace. I actually think that at the moment, Gen Z in the workplace kind of need to be lumped with millennials because actually the there isn't just some kind of like big cutoff between me and my sister who's, you know, a year and a half older than me. And I think that 
you know, I'm so glad you say that you think it applies on a wider basis because I think actually it's not just generations that have changed work. It's the landscape and the technology that have changed what work looks like. And therefore, it doesn't matter whether you're, you know, two years into your working life or 30 years into your working life, you are now being affected by the different ideals of work, the different kind of boundaries, the different ideas of having to be constantly connected um, and always have a side hassle, never a hobby and all of these various different things. So I, I essentially started thinking about all of these things and trying to order them. And um, and from my audience, I guess I'd been asked a lot about, you know, productivity tips and how to manage everything. And I think, you know, that is probably my specialty um, just because, you know, I've worked to the ends of the earth to make that something that I can, you know, really manage. And then I thought, I don't want to talk about this without talking about the bigger picture, without talking about the context, without talking about the kind of complexities around it so that really came together in one big explosion of like okay I can't deal with this therefore you know if I can I guess I was supported to to have my own exploration around it and write it into a book um and and that's how this came about um I just I love that and I think I just want to pick up on something that I think is so key is when you're talking about how it's not just your identity crisis but it's a much wider kind of almost like a crisis that we have going on in work and what I think is really amazing is is how you were able to think and really explore that at such an early stage of your career and what I mean by that is when I think back to my own career trajectory when I entered the workforce which was right smack bang in the middle of the last recession um and there were all of these things that weren't didn't kind of pan out the way I thought they would, but I very much internalized that as it being a problem with me. Mm -hmm. And it actually took a good kind of eight years of me trying to fit in to what I thought work should look like, trying to kind of rally against the fact that I never felt comfortable in offices. And yet I had internalized the idea that work must be done in an office. So I thought, oh, if I, if I'm not comfortable in office, there's something wrong with me. And it actually took me losing my job through a redundancy and going freelance for me to start unpicking all of these things. Um, but what I think is amazing is that you started unpicking it so early on. Where did that come from? Kind of how, essentially, how did you kind of have the confidence to stand up and ask, wait, hold on a minute, something isn't right here. And maybe this isn't, this isn't just me. Do you know what? I think I think that's a really interesting question. I actually haven't been haven't been asked that. And I think that the <laughs> yes, um, I, I think that the thing is, I, I didn't have the confidence to do it. I was doing it within myself because, you know, I'm, I'm brand I was pretty brand new to the workforce, even though, you know, I did an over year long internship at 18 and was getting up at 5am going into the city doing this, that and the other. I started my business a year after about kind of four years ago now, four and a half years ago now. And, um, and I just think that these questions became so desperately needed to be asked for myself that the way I deal with that kind of emotionally and the way I deal with these problems is straight away kind of, I read books about, you know, how to balance those things or other people's thoughts on that. And I was reading more and more into the ideas of, you know, how to be more productive and how to consider myself a harder worker and how to be confident in that. And then on the other hand, I was reading lots of books about, you know, your general self-help and self-development. And then one thing I really noticed was that the reason I found it so hard to apply a lot of the advice I was consuming, and I was consuming a lot of advice because 
you know, as I've said, the way I deal with things is just by consuming information and thinking like one of these things will help. Um, and I think, I guess the reason I found that so difficult to apply was actually because I then realized that a lot of the the two different sides of this didn't necessarily acknowledge the other side's existence. So you're either constantly trying to be, to work harder, to be more productive, to get that next promotion, to be ambitious, to have your own company, like blah, 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 like all the stuff on the kind of very businessy work hard side. And then on the other side, it's like how to be better at balancing things, how work doesn't matter, how, you know, you can rest and all of that. But actually I found that then didn't tackle the other side. And I was like, okay, well, <laughs> I need to pay my bills. I also want to enjoy work. I also am a hard worker who gets a lot of kind of fulfillment from work. And so there's no wonder that I can't balance the two if I'm constantly yo-yoing between one, trying to perfect one of them rather than seeing them as two sides of the same coin or you know, the fact that you can't have self-care without productivity and you can't have productivity without self-care. So it kind of, it wasn't a confidence thing. It was something that needed to be asked from me. And then the more I started asking it and talking to people about it, actually people, you know, when I talked to a few of the right people about it, they said like, this is good. Like there's something there. And then I put that all together into a pitch and I kind of said, hey, can I write about this? Um, you know, I, I know that what a lot of people want from me is pure productivity, pure like hustle culture stuff but that's not true to actually my working habits and what work looks like for me. Um, and so I wanted to write it a lot more kind of nuanced and examining the complexities. And that's, I was fortunate enough to be given the opportunity to do so. Um, and it's just been a huge exploration for myself that I guess, you know, I then wanted to make it applicable to everyone else. So it was kind of, here you go out into the world. Um, and yeah. Okay. Okay. There's a lot to unpack there. Um, let's start with hustle culture and productivity um, and how these have kind of become the altar at which so many of us worship. And as you've just described, the book is really a powerful manifesto for rethinking how we view the relationship between productivity and self-care, that they don't have to be in opposition, but can in fact coexist and sort of they need to be in this symbiotic relationship. Um, can you tell me a bit more about that and kind of how you came to view how sort of they're sort of two halves of the same whole? Well, I guess as simply as possible, I realised that I was never going to be the most productive person if I didn't rest. And I was never going to be the most rested person if I wasn't productive. Because, you know, it's not, it's, it's not fulfilling and fun and kind of relaxing to be sitting in a bath when you have a huge to-do list that kind of is like looming over you and sometimes self-care really is finishing something you started so I think I think it just it was as simple as that it was as simple as realizing that I just can't have one without the other and therefore I need to stop thinking about one without the other you know rest has to be considered a concrete and fixed part of my productivity um and it also makes my productivity and my work better um and so I think it was literally as simple as that and then I kind of from there that's when I went into more of the exploration around um why and why we see it differently and why that's so hard to comprehend or why we yo-yo between the two and I think it's important to recognize as well that there'll be times of your life where you are almost all work and there'll be times of your life when you're almost all you know personal you might be dealing with things at home you might be dealing with mental health issues there might there could be so many things um and and that's absolutely fine but what's not fine is considering the hustle as something that is devoid of rest or devoid of sitting back or that rest is only to be applied as a reward for being nearly burnt out. 
it can't be seen like that. Otherwise, we're never going to have a sustainable form of work. And I think as soon as that started to make sense to me, that was like, bingo, okay, I've got it. And I need to apply that to not just my writing and my exploration, but actually my life that needs to now be inputted. I have to have my boundaries. I have to have my rest. And the best part of that is it's a win-win. It will make my work better. This episode is sponsored by Wild. Wild is a natural deodorant brand that has created an effective, long-lasting deodorant that is vegan, cruelty-free, and free of nasty chemicals and parabens. And it actually works. The packaging is sustainable and plastic-free and fits right through your letterbox. And the cases are made from aluminium and the refills, which smell great, are home compostable too. You can customise the colour and choose from five cents and even personalise it with your name. We've been fans of natural deodorant for quite a while, haven't we, Anna? Yes, you actually are the one who converted me to natural deodorant because I used to think I was too gross and sweaty to be able to use natural deodorant. But you taught me that you have to wait out a period of transitioning as all of those bad chemicals leave your body and then the natural deodorant starts to work. And so ever since then, I've been on a quest for the best smelling natural deodorant and now I found it with Wild. It smells great and it actually works. So go to Wild today and get yourself this natural refillable deodorant that genuinely works. You can order by going to wearewild.com and you'll get 20% off your first order when you use the code is this working at checkout. That's wearewild.com and code is this working at checkout for 20% off. Thank you, Wild. How has it been to actually implement these things into your working life because something that Tiffany and I have both found with doing this podcast and obviously I will speak more for myself here at this point is having a podcast about work culture and talking a lot about boundaries and all you know what healthy productivity looks like and all of that has almost made me feel even more pressure to make sure that (laughs) I am walking the walk so what has it been like to research all of these things have this deep exploration and go on this journey about work, how has it been actually implementing that into your daily life, into your business, into everything, into how you run your working day? It's been complicated and it's not been straightforward. And I think, you know, as you say, this idea of self-care and balance and everything then is just another thing that we find it really hard to live up to. Um, So I think, you know, you've caught me on a week where I have had back to back meetings all week. I'm trying to prepare for the fact that next week is going to be almost all book. I'm trying to, we just had a huge restructure at one of the companies. I'm trying to, you know, get everything together. I'm hiring people. I'm doing finances and I'm just, I'm, I'm really, I'm not balancing the balance. I'm not doing that. Um, and, and that is, that is going to be a true part of working life as well. And I think so for me, there's kind of been a lot of learning and unlearning and then learning again, because, you know, 
I understand now what my balance is. I understand what my boundaries have to be. And that doesn't mean that I always put them in place. And that doesn't mean that I always, you know, can. I think the most important thing for me was recognizing what these things were and why I needed them. And then after that point, you know, knowing that that will be, you know, hopefully the majority of my time and there'll be outliers in that. There will be kind of times that aren't like that at all. Um, And so, the more, you know, at first it was very much, okay, put these in place. Wow, this is so smooth sailing for a bit. And then realizing that that's just not always going to be the case. It had to be about realizing that you step back from that sometimes. You do something differently. You have to be all work. You have to be all rest or you get ill. Um, and and so that kind of, it's it's, it hasn't been linear at all. And I wanted to make sure that as well with the book that it wasn't kind of, I was working like this and it was awful. And now I work like this and I walk around with a glowing halo on my head um, and everything's fantastic. And my work's amazing. And I've been promoted 72 times. And I was just kind of, that's, that's not it. The important thing is recognizing where the boundaries are, where the complexities are, where the things that we don't necessarily do right or that we've internalized wrong ideals are and then making sure we're working towards something where actually you know 70% of the time is that but also recognizing and having the right mindset to know that the times that aren't that there's a way to get back on track but there's also a way to just say this week isn't like that and that's fine so it's been up and down and in and out um but it's the best part of it has been that I know it and I know kind of deep within me if it has been like a hectic week and I'm just thinking inside like I'll just push forward on that one more thing I have a lot better kind of radar inside of me that can say yes go do just that one thing and another one that says no you sit back you rest come back to that one day um and I think that's definitely been something I've developed since doing all of this this is something that we ask all of our guests but I think um is an especially important question given kind of everything that we're talking about. How would you describe your relationship with your work? Oh, I think my relationship with my work is probably completely, honestly, it's very codependent. (laughs) It's often unhealthy, um, but it's also extremely fulfilling. And it's a lot of the time what I get up for in the morning in the least sad way possible. <laughs> Not just because I have to be at work for a meeting. Um, but, you know, I, I love my work. I'm incredibly fortunate to have built companies that I, I can work within and that have fantastic people on board that make it an absolute kind of pleasure to work there every day. Um, and yet at the same time, I often kind of use work as a crutch to get away from things, you know, when they're not going so well in other places. And that's been because, you know, I've always known I can work hard and I've always known that's going to be there. So it's kind of been, okay, that's happening. I'll just disappear and I'll just work hard and then I'll come out with something else. And then I'll have forgotten that even happened. And that's not healthy. Um, And so it's complicated. That's probably long story short. Um, I'd say it's complicated, um, but it's, it's constantly improving and I think the best thing is now that I have a kind of deep awareness of exactly what that relationship is. I think that's the key part is the awareness because I think you can go for so long without realizing really important things such as using work as a coping coping mechanism because so many of us do do that because it is socially acceptable to say that you're busy. It's almost a badge of honor that a lot of oh, us yeah. wear. And so 
it can be quite easy to not realize the extent to which you're doing it, but that awareness is such a key part of it, I think. And I think that's why kind of, um, having these sorts of conversations is really, really important as well. Um, so let's just take this back a step. Um, I first came across you a couple of years ago when you were a student and you had a YouTube channel, um, kind of like fitness and lifestyle. Um, and I must've stumbled across you cause I'm a huge YouTube consumer viewer, whatever. <laughs> um, and, uh, so I kind of, I sort of, that's the space that I first knew you in. Uh, and then you went on to found your two businesses, Tala, your sustainable activewear brand and Shreddy, which I think probably actually came first, the fitness app. Um, and what I want to ask you about is social media was, and still is such a huge part of your business story. And to a large extent, Mm -hmm. it's, it's played a big role in why you're here now. Um, but it's not your main business. Social media is not your main business. Um, I think I probably can go so far as to say is that you have influence, but I would imagine you probably don't necessarily go around calling yourself an influencer. Um, and if I've read the book correctly, that was a conscious decision. Um, if so, if, if that's re- correct, um, how hard was it to make the decision to pivot away from a career as a content creator, influencer, YouTuber, whatever you want to call it, to the CEO of companies that make products oh I think the hardest part of it wasn't the pivot and wasn't the decision because I think I knew in you know I I fell into that and it's not that I fell into it and it just instantly grew I fell into it and then I decided to consciously make it grow I worked for hours every weekend to cook hundreds of recipes, film loads of workouts, would wake up at 2 a.m. when I was anywhere else in the world so I could post at the right time. Kind of all of these things that I look back and I'm like, wow, <laughs> that is not something I'd be doing now. But but I did. And I really, I really, I think I often forget how hard I worked to grow those platforms. And I think that then when I was there, I think after a year or two, it became quite apparent that as much as I loved it and the communities and the audience and everything was the best part of it, I I'm actually a very private person. And it was giving me a lot of kind of, it, it was just, it wasn't a job that I would have applied for. So it was kind of something that I found I was doing and I was loving so many parts of it. And I was probably almost addicted to it in some ways because, you know, the validation you get from it, the the reward mechanisms of it were per, were kind of perfectly, exactly in line with, you know, things I could commit myself to. I always did three YouTube videos a week. I'm very rigid with the way I do things. So I knew I could do that. And that meant that I always grew a certain amount and people enjoyed that. And I would take kind of constantly take data from my audiences in terms of what they want and all of that. So I, I loved the way that I could almost do that in a business structure, but I realized that that wasn't, it, it didn't have longevity, first of all, or, you know, you never know within social media. And I'm a warrior. I'm a, like, I have to have a plan. And I always had a plan. My plan was always that I wanted to do an internship for a year before uni. I wanted to ideally go to the uni I went to, and then I wanted to go into a corporate job. And that was just kind of my like vision of big shiny success and it's so different now but that was kind of you know what teenage me would think like wow successful grace she's cool um but i think for me it just became very apparent that while i loved it so much and i still do and i think i now have the best parts of it um whilst also being able to have the rest of my career um it, it 
I was, I was, I was at the very early stages of my career and in the way that anyone within like a few years of their career might sidestep to another industry or to a client that they're working with that they think they actually prefer that type of thing. That was what I was doing. And I decided that actually the best parts of it were the community stuff that I could still do with the brand. And then also when I had created products within social media before I even considered it a business that I felt were gaps in the market or I felt as a consumer of the businesses, the ideal, I, I was pretty much the ideal demographic of both my businesses. I felt that that product was missing. So the hardest part wasn't that change, although that was kind of, it was quite a gradual change. It was something I kept touching in with and thinking kind of, oh yeah, I do want to do this. I do want to change that. I talk in the book about how my big dream at one point was to have a collection with a big fashion brand. And then I realized that that not only was that not my dream, I actually wouldn't even accept that. And that was in a year and within a year. And I kind of thought, okay, this is crazy. This is the big pivot. The hardest part has been then doing all of that and trying to, you know, running a business is hard work regardless of anything, but also running a business, I guess, on the scale that from the beginning, every mistake will be seen and every move will be watched and and kind of it's you know you automatically from the moment you launch you need to really get most things right otherwise you have a logistical nightmare that for me was that's the hardest part and it and it has been a hard part and it's been a real learning process just with any as with any business owner so I guess that you know I'm still learning every day how to do my job right um and I, I feel like I've had a huge amount of kind of development in that way over the past year. Um, and for me, it was just about, you know, this all came about just because I thought, what is success to me? And what does success actually look like to me? What do I want to spend my everyday do it, doing? And that kind of answered that question for me. So, so yeah, the hardest part was less the decision. It was very much doing it and trying to reframe and trying to reposition all of that. Given that you've just touched on it, uh, I would love to know how you define success um, because it's something you talk about in the book about how success is relative. That's something that um, I strongly agree with. Um, we've talked about this a lot on the show, but I would love to hear your own personal definition of success and what it means to you. I think I think I have a lot of different definitions of success, but I think one of the ones that I've really pinpointed over the past year is my version of success will become because of what I'm like and because of, I am never very settled and I'm always kind of, I always reach something, don't internalize it, don't congratulate myself for it and just go straight on to the next thing. I think in that way, one of my views of success will just be being content in not having to strive for more and I think that's something that I'm really aiming for and have been really aiming for aiming to be better at at the moment um and I think that is because you know I talk about in the book how I, I compare the idea of success to the happiness trap where with the happiness trap you have to be you have to experience relative emotions you have to experience the ups and the downs in order to experience in order to have happiness you can't just sit at this one level um of kind of happiness and call that you know that you've reached happiness and I think success is kind of the same um in that you will have 
the ups and the downs and you're never going to get to a static point that you think this is success or very rarely people do and I think probably the type of person who reads my book will not be one of those types of people and so for me you know I don't want that static contentment because again that's completely against the the idea but actually success for me will be when I can internalize and congratulate myself on my achievements and go for more still be ambitious and all of that but just be overall kind of content and I think in that way I'm really aiming to see success as soon as possible you know I want that success to be now um and I think that with the idea of kind of calling people successful we just need to be internalizing it and we need to be bringing it within ourselves otherwise you know, there's not this objective view of success. I mean, there is, and there's kind of what people would consider, but different people consider all sorts of things. You know, different people might look at whoever and say like, oh no, I don't consider them successful because of this and because of that. And I talk in the book as well about societal norms. And then if you're a woman, you won't have, you know, people won't necessarily consider you successful, even if you're the most successful person in the world, if you can't, if you don't have a relationship or 2.5 children or whatever it might be. So I think, it has to be that internal kind of recognition of success. And for me, that will be when I can just say, yep, I'm happy or I'm, I'm content. And, and that's, that's regardless of whether I go up from here. Um, so it's probably quite fluffy, which is probably exactly why I can't reach it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. Uh, you kind of touched on this when you were talking about the decision to move in to move into building your own business and away from doing social media full time but and how that one of the i guess downsides of having a large platform is that everything is so out on the open including your work and your business and i would just love to hear what it is like to do your work out in the open like that to kind of have people seeing you build a business from the beginning and through all of the kind of steps that come along the way, because you are open about when you do talk about when things go wrong as well. And I have seen on your Instagram stories when there've been kind of like shipping problems and all of these sorts of things. And that you do talk about the ups and downs of being a CEO. And what is it like to do your journey out in the open? It's like if you were a chef and you have an open kitchen and we're just all and we're watching you. <laughs> all the time. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's an interesting kind of concept, and I guess there's little for me to compare it against because it's it's what I've it's what I've always done. It was kind of what from the beginning of the career ladder. I mean, I don't know how people would have found it if they were constantly watching me in my internship. Um, but um, you know, it's there are challenges in some ways. But actually, you know, the opportunities that the businesses have been given from these platforms um, and the way that we can kind of even kind of talk to customers, interact with customers, develop our brand identity based on, you know, having really strong values and resonating with those of customers is so much stronger than any comparable downside. So I think that, you know, there are challenges. And, you know, as I said, there's not much I can compare it against because I don't know what the difference might be. But I also think that actually, as much as I'm open, as much as I try and be really clear about all the different sides of business, it's actually really not out in the open, I guess. You know, my work every day, I, I, I kind of, you know, I have a very full on schedule every day. 
congratulations being a hustle culture queen um but but and and that's not seen by everyone and the way i conduct myself in meetings the way i talk to employees the way the policies we put in place to protect employees or to make their times better or to make them feel more valued that is how well i'm doing at work and that is what i value and i think as long as i can go home after every day or stay at home after every day because we're all at home at the moment um and and think i'm doing that well and i'm doing the right thing that is when i'll when I consider myself kind of good at doing my job. And of course, the things that everyone else will see will be the announcements and the new collections and the things that went wrong and this, that and the other. And I think there's a huge amount, there's a huge benefit in the amount of accountability and responsibility that brings a brand and also the loyalty and kind of connection that brings a brand. Um, and on the other side of that, for me, the most important thing is my personal professional development as you know, as a CEO, as a founder, as someone who's kind of got a lot of people on their team. Um, and that comes with a huge amount of responsibility. And I care more now about getting that right. And I think for a, not necessarily for a long time, I cared about the long things, but uh, the wrong things. But for a long time, I, you know, wanted to make sure it all looked in a certain way. So I was more concerned about that than making sure that it was just exactly right. Um, so yeah <laughs> that that for me that for me is the kind of huge 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 priority um and i think i've been really doing that right and i think that i've really worked hard to do that right and that means way more than any of the public recognition um and that's given me a lot of kind of food for thought and kind of gives me a little pat on the back for how i've moved away um because that's certainly was more of a concentration at one point okay I've got a juicy one for you. Again, this is something we ask all guests. What is your biggest work, boo-boo? So something that you've done or that has happened that still really makes you cringe. I, so as I kind of said to you, this has been sandwiched somehow between finance meetings. I usually try and block things. So I have, you know, so similar things in one space, but I was just looking over the finance before, um, before my next meeting just before this and i was looking over the cash flow and i thought i'd spotted something <laughs> i thought and i messaged someone and i said this is a big problem this is this is a shortfall and i don't think this can be done and had gone through went over it about five times and thought this is definitely a shortfall and i would like set off all the alarm bells anyway <laughs> turns out i read it completely wrong and it was actually that was like a positive that was a positive rather than a negative and I mean I don't even have a maths A level and I'm just, I was so disappointed in myself and I you know I just had to use a half just to test guys <laughs> caught you there um but yeah and, and things like that happen like honestly I know it's a bit of a I can't think of exactly what there is on the spot but you know I'm sure there'll have been so many things um but maybe it's because they're pushed out by the fact that every day something like that happens. And it's just, you know, it's part of the job. And I think one of the big things for me has been learning as well that, especially within a CEO role, a CEO can be so many different things. A CEO can come up through product, can come up through e-com, can come up through digital, can come up through operations and can have so many different specialties. And my job as a founder is to do exactly what I do best, which is brand and product and vision and strategy, and to kind of lean into all of those things. And things like financials, I have to be over them, but like, dear God, please do not let me do anything to do with the cash flow because I, I mean, I just set off all the alarm bells. Now people are messaging me back while I'm on the podcast and I'm just thinking, guys, 
<laughs> that was completely wrong. So I'm so sorry, everyone. Well, you know, what's so interesting is that when I think about the mistakes that I made when I was in house and when I had an employer, those are the ones that just, I still kind of think about them now because my problem back then was I was terrified of getting in trouble. Whereas I was actually just talking about this with, um, Tiffany, the, obviously my podcast co-host, um, because you know, we run this podcast, like it is a, like it's its own kind of business and we work together. And I was saying to her how, um, if I don't do something, if she's asked me to do something and I haven't done it, I don't lie to her about it. I'm just I'm not scared of getting in trouble with her. And it's that shift in mentality between when you're, when you feel like you are having to work within these very rigid parameters and when you're essentially scared of getting in trouble versus when you do have that kind of autonomy and when it is your own thing, um, whether when it's your own business, the mistakes look very different. And also your responses to the mistakes, I think feel quite different as well. Yeah. And I also think what's really interesting based on that is the question of whether we then need to look at how we change our workplaces to reflect that. Because I know that actually what I've realized over the past year, I've kind of thought, okay, well, I'm incredibly inexperienced in this, this and this. How can I be a good leader? And how can I take my team forward and grow a company that people are really excited about and people say all the time like it's going to be the next this it's going to be the next this and I'm like well I don't I mean as you know I can't even do my cash flow um so I've kind of thought more and more about that and actually I think the reason why you know to, to give myself a bit of kudos I think the reason why I have been able to do well as a leader in some respects is actually because I know that it's a collaborative effort rather than a kind of strictly hierarchical and rigid effort. Even if I have someone who's been in something for four years, so isn't entry level, but you know, isn't kind of a more senior level, they're still more experienced than me at that area. And therefore the way I work with them is very reflective of that and is really honoring their work, respecting their work, respecting their experience and working with them to make something rather than just ordering people to do something to assert power or to assert, assert authority. And I think that actually the more organizations can try, kind of shift their mindset to giving people responsibility, giving people ownership, giving people value rather than just kind of constantly having to do this top down um, this is how we, you know, this is how we do things. This is how we make things work just to enforce hierarchy. I think that is exactly what will, I mean, we can see the more, you know, this is why some young companies do so well. And it's because they allow that type of freedom. They allow that type of fluidity. And I think that, as you say, exactly, we need people not to be afraid of being told off. And instead, I mean, ideally, you'd want them to want the best for the company anyway. So so if it's that they haven't done something, usually there's a reason for that. Was it because the workload on this was actually way bigger than was expected? And therefore, we need to be able to adapt better next time to know that that shouldn't be done that way, or that should be two people, or the deadline should be longer. So I think that it's a really interesting question when it actually comes to kind of corporate working culture or general employment working culture as well, because it should never be about someone being afraid to be in trouble. It should be about you know, you two against the problem or you two like trying to make that work. So I, I've been thinking about that a lot recently in terms of how I can, as the, as we take on more and more people and lots and lots of really experienced people that I kind of sit there and think like, <laughs> I don't know how to talk to you. Um, it's just about that. It's exactly, it's just about being collaborative. It's about leaning on each other rather than just telling each other to do things. I think that kind of journey and 
almost wanting to interrogate all aspects of what our work should be is something that I really found to be the case since I started working for myself. Um, and actually the final chapter of my own book, um, is called the self in self-employment because it's me trying to encapsulate how on my own journey of growing my business of one, yeah, I learned so many business skills, but really the most important lessons are the ones that I learned about who I am and about me and this kind of almost this personal journey that I've gone on as well, or gone on as well. Is that something that you have also found to be the case in growing your own businesses? Obviously you're not you're not a freelancer, but you are a business owner. So is that something that you have found to be the case? I I don't know. I feel like I've learned so much over the past, over the time I have not just been self-employed, but also kind of been, that's been like my very full-time thing. And I think that for me, it's just been about, it's just been about learning how I work best and then also understanding that if I work best in certain ways, then the people I work with will also work best in certain ways. So trying to kind of adapt and get to grips with that. Um, and that's kind of, that's just been my priority through and through. And I feel like only within the past year have I really felt like I'm making breakthroughs in that area. Okay, last question. If we kind of think about our careers like a book, which chapter do you feel that you are at right now? Oh God. Well, I hope the introduction, because, you know, merely for the fact that I'd like a very nice long retirement sometime, but I also know that there's no chance that I'm ever doing that kind of before I'm absolutely forced to. Um, <laughs> no, I think I'm probably, I think I'd probably be at chapter two. And I'll be more specific about it rather than just choosing a fun number. Um, no, I think because, you know, thinking of my life and thinking of like the building blocks of everything from what made me like I am now. And I think a lot of that was my school, my upbringing, um, kind of, you know, things you go through and all of that. And I think that that would be that'd be the introduction that would be really forming it, forming it together. And then I think my chapter one really would have been the first step into my kind of professional um life and university or the, my kind of corporate my foray into the corporate world then university starting the businesses all of that and then I think really over the past year I've been in that next chapter of really making sure that I am first of all on the track to what I see as success not kind of monetarily but in terms of lifestyle in terms of the person I want to be in terms of all of that and um and then also you know getting to where I want to go in terms of like the businesses in terms of what they're doing in terms of what I'm doing to make that happen in terms of how you know hopefully people feel working for the businesses and I feel like that that's where I am now so I'm probably right at the beginning of chapter two maybe first sentence second <laughs> page maybe but pu pushing it no further than that we've got a lot to go in chapter well, two. Well I cannot wait to see what chapters three th through to 275 look like for you. Um, <laughs> Grace, it has been such a delight talking to you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And I really hope that this book is a runaway success because it is just, it's such a fantastic manifesto. And I think it needs to be a central reading for everyone who, who has a job basically. 
thank you so much that is really kind and I can't thank you enough for both having me on and also all the kind words I don't think I've ever been so flattered in my life <laughs> if my camera quality was better you could probably see me blushing <laughs> well thank you again thank you Thank you to Wild for sponsoring this episode. Go to wearewild.com and you'll get 20% off your first order when you use the code ISTHISWORKING at checkout. Thank you, Wild. You are listening to Is This Working? Hosted by Anna Cogerado and Tiffany Filippou. Produced by Chris Bannister. Please like and subscribe and you can find us in all of your favourite podcasting apps. And also just a quick note before we go to let you know that we are now giving talks at companies. So if you would like to hear us live at your workplace, email us at isthisworkingshow at gmail.com and we will send you something that you can pass along to your head of people or HR department. Thanks very much.